Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Judge Janine Tunnel the Towers Foundation's Sunday morning show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. I hope you're enjoying your day so far. It is a beautiful day here in New York City, and as always, we are armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Welcome to my guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. He is a board-certified physician, board-certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular diseases, clinical lipidology, um, and, uh, he was at Baylor University. The guy's a genius, folks. I mean, I could go on and on about his background. Uh, but the significant thing for you to know is that since the outset of the pandemic, Dr. McCullough has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. And he's uh, published several papers, including the, uh, pathophysiological basis and rationale for early outpatient treatment of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, infection, the first synthesis of sequenced uh, multidrug treatment of ambulatory patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 in the American Journal uh, of Medicine and subsequently updated. Now, uh, Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for, for joining us on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Uh, I'm excited that you're on and I'm excited for my guests to hear from you. You, of course, are someone who's been very outspoken, and it was almost a damn the torpedoes with you. You were not inclined to go with the flow. Uh, you based your decisions during COVID on the facts and the medicine. Talk to us about what you've been through as a physician. Well, thanks for having me on the program. Medicine is both an art and a science, and early in, in a medical emergency like this, we really have to rely on senior physician judgment. Uh, my judgment was that the most beneficial thing the medical community could do would be to treat sick patients early to help them avoid hospitalization and death. And as it turns out, masking, social distancing, lockdowns, they didn't work. And people got sick. They needed early treatment. So I was out quickly with protocols for early treatment. We subsequently showed we had very good support for this. By December of 2020, a paper by Gukliakos and colleagues concluded we had clear and convincing evidence that multidrug protocols were working. No single drug was necessary nor sufficient, but if patients received early treatment, they could avoid hospitalization and death. Conversely, of the 1.2 million Americans who died of or with COVID and the 6 million hospitalizations, two-thirds could have been avoided with early treatment. Okay, when you say early treatment, doctor, uh, it, I think that we were pretty on top of it from the beginning. Uh, we didn't know much about it. Was it March of 2020? Although uh, we're going back now, uh, apparently we knew about it in November of 2019. 
Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, it, now with the House Select uh, Committee for the Origins of Coronavirus, uh, former CDC Director Redfield and others have testified. Uh, it came out of the lab in Wuhan uh, sometime in the second half of 2019. But when Event 201 was held, which was a tabletop exercise, that meeting was probably operational. The Chinese knew it was out. That's the reason why George Gao, the head of the CDC, came over and met with Americans, and they were basically planning a response. Well, well, okay, so let, let's talk about when you say early treatment, though, um, it, all we saw in the spring of 2020 were people getting intubated and dying, intubated and dying, intubated and dying. What were you saying at that time or looking back? Uh, there should have been a, a group of drugs, a, a, a medical therapy other than this intubation. Sure. Intubation was far too late. You know, the initial study showed about 90% of people who went on the ventilator died. Uh, and current right. uh, c- conventional ventilator mortality is about 40%. A paper from Johns Hopkins and JAMA showed that it's still way too high. So we have to treat patients early. And early in 2020, I was advocating for combined drug use. And at that time, uh, we had knowledge on hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, doxycycline, aspirin, uh, oral prednisone, colchicine, and then we used injectable uh, blood thinners, and we used oxygen at home. Uh, and then over time, you know what the biggest breakthrough was the use of nasal, virucidal, and oral washes and gargles. This was important. We, lose, we learned that a, a dilute iodine spray uh, was very, very effective in reducing the intensity and duration of symptoms. Gargling with scope or, scope or Listerine worked great. And so we advised patients to get on these early programs to help them avoid hospitalization. And well, then are you saying, doctor, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Once patients got in the hospital, the protocols uh, did not advance over time. So there wasn't any significant improvement. Okay. So it, uh, did the intubation add to their, uh, the, it, it was to their detriment ultimately? Was that malpractice? Well, it did in some patients because there's what's called barotrauma, collapsed lungs. And now a paper out of Northwestern shows that when once they were on the ventilator, then there was a secondary bacterial infection that set right. in because the, the lungs can't clear the bacteria. So intubation could be avoided. We used oxygen at home, and we allowed the oxygen saturations to be lower as long as people could uh, think well and the work of breathing was acceptable. And so what we found all over the world is that the hospital should be avoided in most cases. Amazing. All right. Now, doctor, you mentioned uh, hydroxychloroquine. Now, I remember if you mentioned that in early 2020 or throughout 2020, you were considered a person spreading disinformation. Doctors were being called before medical boards. Uh, they were looking to take their licenses away. Uh, what is your take as a physician on what you saw happen in this medical emergency vis-a-vis your prescribing hydroxychloroquine? All forms of effective treatment were intentionally undermined by governments all over the world. This is very important, all of them, including the nasal sprays. Believe it or not, the Federal Trade Commission and the FDA in the United States, they tangled up every company making nasal sprays, trying not to get them out to Americans. And it went from there, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, even Paxlovid and Molnupiravir were undermined. The monoclonal antibodies were always safe and effective. They were undermined, and it was difficult to get them. Uh, they kept taking them off the market. Budesonide, uh, colchicine, they were all undermined. 
And, right. and to this day, our, our federal government does not espouse early multi-drug treatment. Okay. So, doctor, were you, uh, I mean, you must have been uh, criticized, punished, or, you know, mistreated, or what happened to you during this time? Yeah, I evolved. I was already a, a relatively prominent public figure in medicine. I'm the most published person in my field in history, when I, the interface between heart and kidney disease. But when I quickly moved into COVID and established, a, a, you know, an academic track record there, um, I became a public figure. I set all the records on the Joe Rogan experience. I got Tucker Carlson uh, deep into investigating this, uh, you know, over the last two years before he was silenced. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I became even more prominent. I have the top doctor account on Twitter, doctors who see patients right now. So people have gravitated to the truth. They know I've been honest with them. I've cited the literature the entire time. I'm the only one who goes on Fox News or any of the stations, and I cite the papers. The government doctors don't do that, and other doctors that are only promoting the vaccines never cite the data. Uh, This man, everyone, is the top of his field. And, you know, the amazing part, doctor, is you never back down. But let's talk about the fact that the government was so... Uh, entrenched in promoting a vaccine. What benefit did the government get out of the vaccine? And we haven't even talked about that yet, that in many cases just didn't work. There's a paper by Lalani in the British Medical Journal, which is really illuminating. You know, the United States has been investing in messenger RNA since 1985. Tens of billions of dollars of U.S. investments, largely through BARDA, the research arm of the military and, and uh, of the NIH, and then right. DARPA, the research mm-hmm. unit of the military. And in 2012, uh, the, the um, DARPA announced that they were going to use messenger RNA to end pandemics in 60 days. It's still in their website. So DARPA had this, uh, you know, uh, vaccine ideology that the solution to a pandemic was going to be a vaccine. There was a singular mindset. They invested everything in these vaccines well ahead of time. Uh, well ahead of COVID-19. So when the when the virus got out of the lab, everything was ready to go. Moderna announced within a couple days of President Trump's uh, declaration of emergency that they had a vaccine within a couple days. And obviously, they had been working on it for years. There was such an investment. The U.S. co-owns the patent with Moderna. It oh was going to be messenger RNA all the way. The U.S. government was all in on it. And they, they this MNRA... I mean, is what impact does that have on the body? I don't understand it. We keep hearing about it. Messenger RNA is a, a genetic injection. So people who have taken this have taken their first injections of a synthetic messenger RNA. It takes over the body's cells to produce, in this case, the spike protein or the spicular spine on top of the virus. The spike protein itself is then expressed by cells and floats into the bloodstream. It circulates in the bloodstream at least a month, in fact, probably several months. The messenger RNA is not broken down easily. Uh, it's been found in lymph nodes now two months after the injections. It may last longer. And so what happens is the body has a relatively severe reaction to it. Now, some people, uh, they take the vaccine and nothing happens. An important paper by Schmeling and colleagues from Denmark shows that a third of people take the shot, nothing happens. Two-thirds of people have a mild reaction. But sadly, 4.2% of people have severe reactions, including heart inflammation, blood clots, strokes, and a whole series of disastrous problems. 
Okay. And, you know, I remember when I had my show on Saturday nights, I remember asking a physician about the fact that, you know, you're hearing about people dying after taking the vaccine. And and she was like, no, 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 no. Nothing like that is happening. Nothing like that is happening. But, you know, periodically we we would hear about people who would have adverse effects. And, and, And right now the the vaccine is they're they're not looking to get FDA approval. As long as they have emergency uh, approval, they're happy with that. Is that correct? That's true. None of the current vaccines are licensed in the United States. There's no, um, there are no letters of, uh, uh, of attempted licensure on file at the FDA. And the emergency is over with. Biden has declared the emergency is over with. So the the extension of the emergency use authorization is violating regulatory law. So why do you think they're still doing it? Yeah, they have to ask the vaccine promoters uh, of doing it. it. You know, I published a book called uh, Courage to Face COVID-19. I think there's been, a, a, in a sense, a biopharmaceutical complex or a syndicate that's formed. Interesting. And the governments now are working hand in glove with pharmaceutical companies and NGOs in a very dominant position where they're starting to ignore laws. Uh, they are certainly ignoring uh, conventions on safety, and uh, and these vaccines are still being railroaded uh, in countries all over the world. Fortunately, the mandates are dropped, and when the mandates drop, people tend to just not take them. What about Omicron? I understand that the Omicron vaccine, uh, it had an unusual effect that you were supposed to take a second because it would make it worse. It's true. After all the first shots, there's an increased risk of COVID and it's because the immune system is, is uh, dysregulated and the second shot is supposed to set an immunity. But as people take more and more shots, if, if we, someone's following the current recommended schedule this summer, they're on their seventh shot, I mean, oh seven gosh. shots. And so what we found is actually it weakens the immune system over time. There's a paper by Shretha and colleagues from the Cleveland Clinic showing with each additional shot, Patients get more and more recurrent COVID. The healthiest people are people who took no shots at all. Interesting. How long, um, if you have immunity, either herd immunity or, or if you've had COVID, how long does that natural immunity last? As far as we can see, there's a paper by Kima Telly and colleagues. They have immunity out to 15 months. It looks like it's lifelong. Natural immunity is looking very good right now. A key paper was published by Chin and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, October of 2022. 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 guards and staff. Once somebody had been through the Delta or Omicron infection, they can get COVID again, but there's a zero risk of hospitalization and death. And that's been reassuring. That's the reason why hospitals have been empty for two years. Yeah, that's interesting. And Dr. McCullough, I know that your time is very valuable, but I understand that uh, there's a lot of debate going on out there and that you have offered to debate Dr. Hotez uh, on the vaccine. Um, every time you say something, Dr. McCullough, you say based on a paper, based on a fact, based on this, based on that. I note that when you talk to people or when we listen to people like Fauci, uh, and some of the other ones, they don't cite papers. They just they they just bring in the fear factor and disinformation. That's true. We should demand all the doctors cite their sources. Uh, you know, I went on Joe Rogan, and you know, I kind of set his records on his show because I just simply I told the Spotify producers I was going to just show the published data, show my publications, and I'm a bit senior to Hotez, 
um, but I'd happy to be sit down with him. We'll just have a discussion. We want to focus on vaccine safety. That's not an issue Hotez has discussed at all. And uh, there's about 3,400 papers in the peer-reviewed literature. Joe Rogan's very interested in this. I think Bobby Kennedy's done a great job, but, you know, he's running for president. He doesn't mm-hmm. need to get into doctor debates. Uh, that can be between me and Hotez. And, and Rogan and Kennedy thought that was a fine idea. Yeah, I think it's a fine idea, too. And this guy, Hotez, I mean, he, what gives him the uh, credentials to debate COVID? You know, he is a vaccine developer, and uh, we discovered that uh, he had uh, National Institutes of Health, NIAID grants be- with him and the Chinese at Fudan mm-hmm. University in 2015 and 2016. And he was working on SARS-CoV-2 antigen-based vaccines as biodefense projects. So Hotez goes back with the Chinese years before COVID-19. And I think one of the reasons why he's afraid to come to the table and actually face any questions is I think his background with the Chinese is going to be uncovered. Interesting. Fauci, Hotez, Tedros, who leads the WHO. Oh, yeah. They are, yeah, they are all with great enthusiasm predicting another pandemic. In fact, Hotez has said COVID is just a warm-up for a much more severe pandemic. And they say it with great zeal and enthusiasm. So mm-hmm. I think we should take them seriously. Uh, you know, we don't know if they have something cooked up. They've been doing research with the Chinese for, for years. And I think we should take it seriously. The principles of the McCullough Protocol, what we went over with early treatment, it's going to apply to other respiratory viruses. Uh, Again, we should look for early treatment, not sit in lockdown and wait for a vaccine. That strategy failed. But I think we should take these public statements seriously. Dr. Peter McCullough, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Uh, You know, you have incredible uh, strength. You have uh, survived what many physicians might not have. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. 